The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. Today's scripture reading will come from three different books in the New Testament. So follow along with me as I read 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 5. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reproof, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And finally, 1 Timothy 4.13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1 as we continue our series, Family Meals. Uh, We've been looking at how God provides the power for us to persevere in our faith. And what we've seen is that he does that through the means of grace. The means of grace. They're, They're kind of like physical meals. Like physical meals feed our flesh. God has provided spiritual meals to sustain our faith. Means of providing us with sanctifying, sustaining grace. He's given us family meals. We call them family meals because we eat them when we gather together, like right now, as a faith family, as a local church. We come into this place to feast. To feast upon this word to feast at the table, to feast through prayer, to feast through, through worship. We gather for family meals. And here's the deal. We've reached the point in this series where we are ready to zoom in on each one of these meals specifically in order to see exactly how we can consume them so that they feed our faith. And this morning we're going to begin with the word. Family meal of the word, the means of grace of the word, we're going to begin with the word because it is the foundational means of grace. What I mean by that is all the other means of grace flow from this one, the table. We wouldn't even know what the table was, what it means, how to celebrate it without the word. Prayer, we would not know the God to whom we pray. We would not have the Psalms that teach us how to pray without the word. Worship, we wouldn't have words for songs to describe who our God is without Him revealing Himself to us through the Word. The Word is the foundational means of grace from which all others flow. So, 
Every week when we gather as a faith family, we do so gathering around this word to feast on it. And specifically, we do that through preaching. Yeah, I'm about to preach about preaching. Wish me luck. We gather week after week to feast on this word through preaching. How does that work? Like, how is the preached word a family meal? How do you eat a sermon? What what should you be doing every week when you come in here? What should you be looking for, ready to receive? And how do you consume it? How does the preached word feed our faith, provide the power for us to persevere? Anytime you hear me use that that metaphor, feed our faith. I'm talking about how do we consume the means of grace so that it provides the power for our perseverance, strengthen us through feeding our, our faith. How does that happen through the preached word? I think, I think that at this point, cooking shows help to give us the answer to that question. Yes, I said cooking shows. I don't know if you're a fan of these shows, but they have exploded in popularity over the last decade. Uh, there's a million of these things. There's, there's Chopped, there's Top Shelf, there's Hell's Kitchen, there's Cutthroat Kitchen, Iron Chef, Kitchen Nightmares, Cupcake Wars, The Worst Cooks in America, The Next Food Network Star, and on and on and on. I'm barely scraping the tip of that iceberg. And in my household, everybody has their own personal favorite. My, my children love Master Chef Junior. Uh, my wife, Holly, will vigorously debate with any of you that the greatest cooking show on the planet is the Great British Baking Show. Hands down, she says. I, I don't know. I've never, never seen this show. Anyway, what's interesting to me out of the shows that I have seen is that they all have the same threefold formula. Like every episode has the same three beats or the same three movements. Preparation, presentation, consumption. Like the, the dish is prepped, Presented all beautifully and fancy on, on the plate, unless you're watching like Worst Cooks in America or Nailed It or something like that. It's presented, and then the, the judges consume. They, they taste it. Preparation, presentation, consumption. I think these three movements actually help us see how the preached word as a family meal feeds our faith. So for the rest of the time we got this morning, let's walk through these movements one at a time. And hopefully we won't just see how the preached word feeds our faith, but as we do this, hopefully it will actually be feeding our faith right now. So number one, preparation. The word has been prepared by God to feed our faith. The word has been prepared by God to feed our faith. This is what he makes it do, in other words. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the word, specifically the word of the cross, the gospel. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And to the world of first century Corinth, Greece, and to the world of 21st century America, the word of the gospel seems so foolish and weak. But to us who are being saved, did you notice that present tense? 
To those of us who are being saved, Paul says the word is the very power of God. It is a means of grace in the present. It is feeding your faith in the present, saving you in the present. We don't tend to talk about salvation as something that's happening in the present tense. We tend only to talk about salvation as a past tense reality. I was saved. Like back at some point, I believed in Jesus, put my faith in him, and I was saved. And what we mean by that is that I was justified at that point. I was made right with God. And that's true. That is a glorious past tense reality of salvation. But there's also a glorious present tense reality of salvation. Call it sanctification. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God is conforming us to the image of Christ. There, there is a glorious future tense aspect to our salvation. We call it glorification. When we will make it all the way home to be present with Christ and in his presence, fully perfected. And right here, 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul is saying that the word of the cross, the gospel... It is not just the means by which you were powerfully saved in the past. It is that, but it's not just that. We often think of the gospel as the door into Christianity. It's not the door, it's the entire path, beginning to end. He's saying the gospel, the word, is not just the means by which you were powerfully saved and justified in the past. It is also the means by which you are being saved, powerfully sanctified in the present. Indeed, the gospel is the means by which God will provide you with everything you need to get you all the way home to the future salvation of glorification. Look look back up at verse 8, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. Paul makes that promise that God will provide everything you need to get you all the way to the end. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. God, God will sustain you to the end until you're perfected in the presence of Christ, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will sustain you. He'll provide the power to get all the way to the end. How's he going to do that, Paul? What means has God prepared to feed our faith? Paul says the word of the cross, the gospel. He says it right here in verse 18 at the beginning of this letter. He says it again at the close of this letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, in case you forgot, since chapter 1 and verse 18, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Paul says the gospel is the power of God in which you stand right now in the present moment in which you are being saved right now in the present moment it's, it is the means of God's grace it is the means by which it's the meal by which he is feeding your faith so hold fast to it Corinth hold fast to it shades or in other words consume it he is going to strengthen and sustain you through the means of the word, the meal of the word, then consume it. How? We've seen the word of the gospel has been prepared by God to feed our faith, but how does it come to us? How is this family meal presented to us on the plate? 
This is where we move from preparation to presentation. Number two, presentation. The word is presented on the plate of preaching. The word is presented on the plate of preaching. Now, really quick, caveat here. I am not about to make this argument in order that I may have some job security. I'm not trying to elevate myself at all as if I'm superior because of what I do up here week after week or anyone else that stands in this pulpit. Not in the least. I hope that what you will see is that what we're going to see in the next few moments here doesn't elevate me at all or any preacher. It actually is rather honest about preachers and their brokenness and the purpose in that. Presentation. The word is presented on the plate of preaching. This is what we actually just heard Paul say when I read 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 and 2 to you. He talked about the gospel by which you are being saved. He said, it is the word that I preached to you. In fact, just go and read the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians for that matter, all throughout his letters to the Corinthians. Paul emphasizes preaching as the method by which the word is presented. Why? We have other ways of presenting the word in community. We we can dialogue about it and form small groups and discuss it. Like, we do that. Or how about the one that was emphasized the most in the tradition that I grew up in, private, personal devotion, which let me just... Go on a tangent for a second right here. I've been promising to go on it for a little bit. Private devotions, that's an oxymoron. There's no such thing in Christianity as private devotions. And everybody's like looking at me wide-eyed. What is he talking about? Christianity is not a private religion. It's a public one, one of community. And this is not a private book. It's a communal book. This is a book written to community, for community, to be read, preached, studied, learned, memorized in community. Am I saying you don't need to read this thing privately? Not at all. Absolutely do. But always bring your private devotion into connection with community. Otherwise, you will end up in one of two places, discouragement or destruction. I have walked alongside of so many people who get discouraged. They can't understand the Bible. They can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense to them. So they walk away from it entirely as a source of revelation about God. It's because you were never meant, I was never meant to tackle this thing by myself. It's a book to community. Read it privately, but bring that in discussion. Bring your questions into discussion with the church who has been walking through this word for 2,000 years. Bring your questions. Ask them. Wrestle it out with Christians who are further down the road than you. I do this every week. Every week, I sit up in my office and I discuss what I'm preaching with a bunch of dead people. I just do it through books. They're they're surrounding me. It's the church. It's the voice of the church surrounding me, helping me. I walk into Brad's office or John Mark's office to talk it out, talk through it. I talk through it with some of y'all because I need help going through this word. You will end up in discouragement if you tackle this thing alone in complete disconnection from community or you will end up in destruction. Almost every heresy and every cult ever came out that came out of Christianity came out of someone sitting alone with this book saying, I understand it and no one else does. 
I get it. And the church and everybody else is wrong. That's not even how God's Spirit working through the Word works. Yes, He reveals things to us, but those are always meant to be brought into the community, checked up against community, checked in in conversation with the church, in conversation with others who are further down the road than us. All right, I chased that rabbit long and, and far enough. What I was saying was why does Paul emphasize preaching as the method by which the word is presented? Instead of one of these others, dialogue, discussion, private devotion, all those are great. They have their place. We need to pursue them. But why does the Bible and Paul emphasize preaching as the method by which the word is presented? Because that method matches the message. That method, the method of preaching, matches the message of the gospel. The gospel's news. It's meant to be heralded, proclaimed, declared. The Greek word for preaching is keruso. It's what a town crier did when they would say, hear ye, hear ye, the word of the king. This is why the prophets preach saying, thus says the Lord. The gospel is news. Before it can be dialogued about or discussed, it first must be heralded. The method of preaching matches the message of the gospel. Not only because the gospel is news, it also matches because the gospel is folly to the world. And so is preaching. Method matches the message. The world thinks the gospel is folly. It thinks preaching is folly. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. Paul says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. A more literal translation from the Greek would be through the folly of preaching. The emphasis is not just on the content here, it's also on the form. It's not just on the message, it's on the method. It pleased God through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. Preaching is folly just like the gospel is folly. The method matches the message. The gospel message is folly to the world. The, the, the gospel message is that of God working through something that looks weak and foolish, the cross, in order to powerfully and wisely save. Preaching is God working through that which is weak and foolish, preachers in order to powerfully and wisely save. I, I get into discussions with people sometimes, and they're like, why hasn't the church like, updated its methods of communication? Like, in a, in a service when we gather, like, why, why don't we replace the sermon with, like, video presentation? Really well done. Or amazing dramatization. And these things have their place, but their place is not to replace Preaching, specifically because preaching is weak. When people say, why don't we replace preaching with something more powerful, I say, all you're doing is re-emphasizing the point of why we need to keep it. It's weak to the world. There's nothing powerful uh, about this. 
preaching is God working through that which is weak and foolish, preachers, in order to powerfully save. God does it this way because it puts His power, not the power of anything we can come up with, it puts His power on display. Paul says that all throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but my favorite place he says it, in the way he says it, is 2nd Corinthians 4 and verse 7. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about himself and his fellow preachers. We're, we're jars of clay, common, nothing special, everyday use, dirty vessels that just break and you buy another one. Nothing special about us. Weak, common, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power through preaching. He's talk, go back and read it, 2 Corinthians 4. He's talking about the power that comes through preaching to open people's eyes that are blind to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Got this treasure in jars of clay to show that that, that when that happens show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why does God work through things that look so weak and foolish like the message of the gospel and the method of preaching so that no one will be confused about where the power is coming from that turns the world upside down? It's coming from, from Him. Shades. When you hear the foolish message of the gospel through a fool like myself and it rocks your world and flips and transforms everything you know that you have had an encounter not with jonathan but with jesus this is what he does through preaching, he strengthens, he, he strengthens your faith. He brings about your faith and he strengthens it. Hebrews 13 says he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. He brings it about and he strengthens it. Romans 10 says he does that through the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 16, 25 says it most explicitly. God is able to strengthen you, shades. How? God is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Shades, the word that God has prepared is presented to you as a family meal, a means of grace for the strengthening of your faith. It's presented to you through preaching. What does that look like on the plate? You can go to lots of churches and see things that are passed off as preaching. Are they? What does biblical preaching look like? This thing that's getting presented to you on the plate. Like when you show up week after week, what should you be looking for on the plate of preaching? I want you to know this, not just so that you're looking for it here, but when, and if the Lord moves you and you go anywhere else, you know what to look for. Should you be looking for entertainment? Eloquent speaker who's in shape. Sorry about that. Working on it. Good stories. Jokes, what should be on the plate of preaching? I think, turn, turn to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, I think 2 Timothy 3 helps us see three things biblical preaching puts on your plate, presents on your plate. We're still under presentation right here. For those of you who keep notes and like to keep it all organized, we're still under point two. You're about to get three sub points. 
label maybe C if you want to, whatever. Right? So, three things biblical preaching presents on our plate. First, the word itself. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Paul's on death row when he writes this. He knows he's dying, and he's writing to a young pastor that he's discipled named Timothy. And what's one of Paul's final charges? Preach the word. Why? He tells us because it's the word that was breathed out by God. Not your word, Timothy. His word. Shades preaching should present this word. It should be soaked, saturated in this word. It should present the word. Put that on your plate. If it doesn't, it's not biblical preaching. Each week we do not gather for Jonathan's opinion hour. We don't gather for Jonathan's latest thoughts on the news or the coolest life hacks he was able to come up with this week. We don't gather to hear from me or any other preacher at all. We gather to hear from God. We we want to hear His Word and see our world through the lens of that Word, see our lives through the lens of that Word. Shades, I am not a current events commentator. I'm not a life coach. I'm not a guru. Christianity doesn't have gurus because gurus proclaim their own message. Christianity has preachers because they proclaim the message of another. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What you need, what I need, Is this word, the word of the gospel, preaching should present you with the word, put it on your plate. At Shades, this is why we practice expository preaching. Many of you have heard me use that term before. Expository, exposit. You can hear the root word expose in there. To exposit simply means to expose or to explain. Expository preaching aims to explain what this word says so that you get the word not my word so so every week when we come together first we read this word then we say thanks be to god for his word and then i begin by inviting you to open this word and then i try to proclaim what this word says I hope you notice that when I preach, I constantly am pointing you back to the text, literally telling you to read it with me because I want you to see what I'm saying anchored here in the Word so that your faith is in the Word, not in me. Your faith is in what God says, not in what I say. I have no, no inherent authority because shades, I'm not infallible. I know, gasp, hard to believe. I have no inherent authority. I'm not infallible. But this word, it has all authority because it is infallible. Shades, only, only follow me or any other pastor. Only follow insofar as we follow the word. What meal should preaching put on your plate? The word itself through exposition. Second, 
So this is like sub point number two under presentation. What should preaching put on your plate? The transformation of yourself. The word itself, but also it should put on your plate the transformation of yourself. Second Timothy chapter four, look at verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Loving an echo chamber is nothing new. An echo chamber, if you don't know, is surrounding yourself with sources that will simply echo back to you what you already think so that you can always feel affirmed and never challenged always correct and never corrected. And what most of us do, what I myself have been guilty of doing, is we, we curate our, our friends and our social media feeds and our news sources so that they become echo chambers of affirmation. That's nothing new, Paul says right here. Paul says people have always accumulated voices, teachers that suit their own passions. To, to say the things that will scratch their ears where they itch are telling them what they, they want to hear. Shades, that's not what preaching puts on our plate. Preaching is not an echo chamber. Don't change churches just to find an echo chamber. Preaching is not an echo chamber. It's a transformation chamber. Because the Holy Spirit of God works through the word to do what we just read right here to reprove to rebuke to exhort to teach in other words the holy spirit challenges us corrects us transforms us with the word of god's truth shades when i come to this word my assumption is that it is going to grate against all of my natural inclinations it's going to grate against the way I naturally think. It's going to grate against the way I naturally feel and, and love because I believe I live in a Genesis, in a post-Genesis 3 world where every part of me is affected by sin, including my loves, including the way I think. And so my mind and heart need to be renewed, need to be transformed. And that happens by the Spirit working through this Word. Jesus himself said this. John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus says, It's the Spirit... The Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken, the words, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Spirit gives life through the words of Christ. They're here. He renews our minds. Romans 12.2 says so. He transforms our affections. Romans 5.5 says so. The Spirit does this, and He does it through the Word. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says that the Word is a sword, and do you know who it says it belongs to? Not you or me. It's the sword of the Spirit. He wields the Word. 
And Hebrews 4.12 says that he wields that word so that it pierces the deepest parts of us, the division of joints and marrow, of soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It reproves, it rebukes, it exhorts us. He transforms us through wielding the word in our lives. That's said explicitly in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that when we look into the word of the gospel, we behold the glory of God and we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And all of that is from the Lord who is the Spirit spirit shades the spirit transforms us through the word and this is why preaching must not only be expository it must also be empowered it must be empowered preaching must be has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God because its aim is not merely to convey information but to bring about transformation. I can't do that, Shades. No preacher can. No one can conform you into the image of Christ except the Spirit of Christ. My my preaching professor and mentor, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., he, he told us, He's like, if you want to be encouraged as a preacher, then you need a good picture of what your task is. Turn to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is the valley of dry bones passage where Ezekiel is put before a valley of dry bones and told, prophesy so they come to life. And Dr. Smith looks at all of us, a room full of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed young preachers out to change the world and goes, that's your task, good luck. Do you know what makes those bones come to life in Ezekiel 37? The Spirit of God comes upon the bones and Ezekiel says, I heard a rattling. Prophesy, Ezekiel, prophesy to the Spirit to bring life into the bones. Preach, Ezekiel, and it won't be your preaching, but the Spirit will work through the means of it because I am a God of means. I love to work my power through things, and I work my power through my word when it is declared, and I bring about resurrection life. Preaching is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Shades, what meal should preaching present on your plate? The word itself for the transformation of yourself. In other words, empowered exposition. This is what it needs to put on your plate. Empowered exposition. And the third thing that preaching should put on your plate, this is the third sub-point under number two. Should put the word itself, the transformation of yourself, and third, an encounter with Jesus himself. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. As for you, Timothy, I've told you what's going to happen. These people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say, so here's what you're to do. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Don't let them change your mind. Endure suffering. No matter what they say to you, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Here's what you're to do. Do the work of an evangelist. What's the work of an evangelist? To point people to Jesus. That's what an evangelist does. That is what the goal of all preaching should be. Paul here is talking about all preaching. It should be to point people to Jesus through empowered exposition. We aim to encounter Christ. The aim is exaltation. 
preaching is not just empowered. It's not just expository. It is empowered, expository exaltation. That's my definition of preaching. That's how I think about it. That's what I'm trying to do. I, I stole two-thirds of that definition. The phrase expository exaltation, that was coined by Pastor John Piper. Totally janked that from him, but I perfected it. I added a third word, another E, empowered. Just to try to get it, my, defi- my personal definition of how I think about preaching. Preaching is empowered, expository exaltation. In other words, preaching is by the Spirit, empowered, through the Word, expository, we encounter and worship and are transformed by Jesus. Exaltation. That's the goal. That's the goal of this word. The whole Bible points us to Christ. So all of biblical preaching must point you to encounter Christ. I'm with Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2 where he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That doesn't mean the only thing that Paul talked about was Christ on the cross. It means that that undergirded, gave shape. It centered everything he had to say. Everything I preach, I want it to be centered on the gospel, aimed at us encountering the crucified and resurrected Christ. Biblical preaching that's put on your plate, it should be, it must be gospel-centered, Christ-centered, exalting Him as your one and only Savior. He is who Preaching puts on your plate. Shades. Preaching or empowered expository exaltation. It presents the word itself for the transformation of yourself as you encounter Jesus himself. That's the meal. That's the meal preaching presents on your plate to feed your faith. So how do you consume it? How how do you consume the family meal of the Word? This is where we move to our third and final point. Preparation, presentation. Now finally, number three, consumption. I'll go on and warn you. This one's got three subpoints too. Consumption. The Word is consumed through empowered, expository exaltation. The word is consumed through empowered, expository exaltation. I told you that that's how I think about preaching. It shapes how I think about it. And I don't just mean it shapes how I think about preaching from the proclamation side, but also from the receiving side. Empowered, expository exaltation, that's not just how... I present a family meal. It's how you consume it. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I think this is what we see in our final scripture. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. Told you Timothy was a young pastor. He was stationed in Ephesus, a church that was just riddled with all sorts of problems. And so Paul writes both of these letters trying to help him out because he can't get to him. At least not at that moment. And here's the summation of what Paul's saying in his first letter and a lot of his instruction to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself. Give yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, 
to teach him. Timothy, until I can get there, what do the people need? What's the family meal that you need to feed them? The means of grace that will feed their faith? Paul says, read, teach, and exhort with the word. I think this is the closest we get to Paul's definition of preaching. And to put it in my own words, empowered, expository, exaltation. I think that's what he's describing right here. This is how Timothy is to feed the flock. This is what they are to consume. And the word will be consumed through empowered, expository exaltation. Let's take those three subpoints one at a time. First, empowered. Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. In other words, Timothy, God's word, like we've been talking about, God's word is what the people need. Shades, this morning... We have repeatedly seen that this word cannot be understood apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says that explicitly, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're folly to him. The word, it's folly, it's foolishness. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Shades, this word is what we need, but we must be empowered to consume it. So what are you to do? What are we to do? Pray. Pray. Shades, ever feel like you get nothing out of preaching? That's rhetorical. Don't answer out loud. (laughs) Ever feel like you get nothing out of preaching? You can't eat the family meal of preaching without prayer. Because you can't consume this word without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Shades, pray. Pray pray the words of Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Pray Psalm 119, 131. Open my mouth. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Prayer, Shades, puts you in a posture of reception. It is the opening of your mouth to consume the family meal. Food cannot be consumed with a closed mouth, and the word cannot be consumed without prayer. Shades, pray. When when you're driving here, I want to get as nitty-gritty as I can. When you're driving here on Sunday morning, pray. The kids are screaming, buy yourself, here, get a luxury item, buy yourself some of those noise-canceling Bose headphones, and just turn those things on. They'll be fine. I'm not speaking out of what I personally do, maybe. When you're driving here on Sunday morning, pray. Or when, when you're logging on because you're watching from home right now, pray. Pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to receive. And shades, don't just pray for yourself, pray for me. Or whoever is preaching. Charles Spurgeon, most powerful preacher of the 19th century, he was once asked the secret of his success. And he replied, my people pray for me. They pray for me. Pastor and author Don Whitney, he says, do you want better preaching? Pray for it. A prayerless church will likely get the kind of preaching for which it prays. Shades, let's open our mouths to consume this word by praying. Because to consume the family meal of the word, we must be empowered. Second, expository. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, 
devote yourself to the teaching of the word. The exposition of it. Exposing, showing what it says. And shades, expository doesn't just mean that I seek to show what's here. It means that you seek to see what's here. Do you want to consume the family meal of the Word, seek to see what the Word says. Shades, that is not always easy. It takes work. Most things that are worth anything are not easy. They take work. And there is nothing in this life worth more than knowing God through His Word. Psalm 19 and verse 10 says that God's Word is more to be desired than gold. Even much fine gold. Read about the gold rushes of the 19th century and see what people were willing to do for gold. God's word is worth infinitely more. The rest of Psalm 19 and verse 10 goes on to say that God's word is sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Like how many of us will slave away all day in the kitchen or pay a ridiculous high price to go to a nice restaurant and get a great meal? Yet your taste buds will never touch anything as sweet as God's beauty coming through His Word. It is worth the work to see the beauty of God in His Word. And I know, I know what some of you are thinking at this point. Thinking, Jonathan, you just said a moment ago that I won't see the truth of God's Word without the Spirit revealing it. Supernatural. Now you're saying... I have to work hard to see it. Well, which is it? Does the Spirit reveal it? Or do I work hard to see it? Yes! Both. Because our God is a God of means. He works His power through things. The Holy Spirit works to reveal God in His Word, not apart from your thinking, but through your thinking. Paul says this explicitly to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 7. Think, Timothy, Think over what I say. Mull it over. Turn it around in your mind. Search the sentences. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Which is it, Paul? Think. Do I think and work hard for it? Does God give? Paul says yes. Because he's a God of God. He's a God of means. He works his power through things like your thinking. Think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is empowered exposition shades to consume the meal of this word you must be empowered yes and you must do exposition you've got to seek to see get nitty-gritty with me when you come here each week are you seeking to see what's in the word do you lean in and listen strive to block out distraction and and pay attention to to take notes or or whatever you do to help you follow along. I realize taking notes doesn't work for everybody, but whatever it is that you need to do in order to follow along and see the truths that are hopefully being exposed. Do you ask follow-up questions or, or ask for further resources, shades to consume the family meal of the Word? We must not only open our mouths through empowered prayer, we must chew what's put in through exposition. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Learn it. 
memorize it. We're trying to give you another tool to help with this throughout the week. Now you will find on the back of your bulletin underneath where there's the space for notes, you'll find a verse that comes from our passage that was quintessential to what we were talking about. You'll find a verse to memorize, that we do this together, think together, mull it over, wrestle with it, imbibe this truth. Shades, to consume the family meal of the word, we open our mouths through empowered prayer. We chew via exposition all that's left to do is swallow. And we do that through exaltation. Third, final, exaltation. Paul says, devote yourself to exhortation. First Timothy 4.13, the final portion of that verse. He says, devote yourself to exhortation from the word. In other words, don't just teach it, Timothy. Don't just explain it. This isn't just about education. It's about exaltation. It's about exhorting people to encounter Christ so they see more of Him and He becomes more of their treasure, transforming their lives, the way they see the world, the way they see themselves. Shades, the goal of this family meal is that you exult in Jesus. This is why you pray to be empowered. This is why you do the hard work of exposition so that by the Spirit, through the Word, you encounter and exult in Christ right now, in here. So it's, this, is why, this is why we don't end our services with the sermon. When we, when we get done with this, we've got plenty of space left to exult in Jesus. Through the table, through prayer, through song, we exult in Jesus in here, and then we, we do a benediction. We go forth exulting in Jesus out there. We go forth to lift high the Christ that we've been empowered to see. Shades, this is how, this is how God is at work feeding our faith through the means of grace that is His Word. This is how He is providing all that we need to persevere through the family meal of His Word. He's renewing our minds, transforming our hearts, transforming our thoughts and our affections so that we treasure Him above all and cling to Him through all. We persevere. Shades. God has prepared the Word to feed our faith presented it to us through preaching. Let's consume it through empowered, expository exaltation.